Well, hey, Gresham Bible Church, great to see everybody today. And this is one of my favorite Sundays when we have a member meeting and we get the aroma of a potluck while we hear the word and worship together. A good Sunday, right? So, all right, make your way to Galatians chapter four. We're going to continue our series through Galatians. We're going to be in verses eight through 20 of chapter four today. And our passage today is going to work like an insider's report on the Galatians. We're going to get an inside scoop on what was happening in the church in Galatia. An inside scoop specifically on why to this point we've seen over and over again that the Galatians are finding adding to the gospel in some way attractive. Well, why? That's what we're going to start to see in chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. So an insider's look at Galatians. I don't know about you, I'm a sports fan. If you're not, that's cool, but I am. And one of my favorite things about being a sports fan is getting the inside report on your favorite team, right? Why they drafted, who they drafted, how your favorite team made a mid-game adjustment to win, like when the Seahawks beat the Niners. I can't wait for the inside scoop afterwards to hear how and why all of that went down. Maybe for you, You love to hear an inside scoop about your favorite artist, your favorite band, right? We all love to be an insider in some kind of way. Our text today is going to draw us in to a behind-the-curtains look at what it means to follow Christ, for it to be Christ alone in an individual Christian's life and in the life of a local church. And as we get that inside scoop of Galatia, we're going to get an inside look at ourselves too. So I'm going to read for us now Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. This is God's word. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's go to God together in prayer. Father God, we praise you that you know us and so that we can know you. We praise you for your gospel. Strengthen and encourage us today where needed. Bring conviction where needed. In all of it, 
we pray that you will lift our eyes, our focus, and our affections from ourselves to you. Open your word to us now and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to consider together two movements in our text in verses 8 through 20. First, in verses 8 through 10, is the idolatry of religion. Second, in verses 11 through 20, we're going to consider true ministry and false ministry. So first, put your finger on the text and God's word in front of you. Have your Bible open. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10, the idolatry of religion. And in these few verses, Paul is not bearing the lead. We are going to see what's at stake. He's literally going to lift up the hood on the hearts of the Galatians to see, have them see, help them see the inside look of the dynamics of man-made religion that they are finding attractive. And by extension, we're going to have the hood lifted up in our lives and our life as a church today too, as we sit under God's word. So look at verse eight. It describes what they were like before they knew God. What's it say? Verse eight. They were enslaved to to those that by nature are not gods. Paul is saying that before they came to know Christ, they were enslaved to false gods. So think about, put yourself in the context, right? Historically, who were the Galatians? There were a bunch of Greco-Roman people who used to be pagans, right? So they would worship false gods. Literally, they would worship idols, So Paul is reminding them of, hey, here's who you used to be. Here's how you used to worship. And that theme that we're seeing here in Galatians is the same theme that was throughout Paul's ministry. Uh, Acts chapter 19, this is one of my favorite scenes in all of scripture. It's in the city of Ephesus. We get to hear a businessman from the city of Ephesus back in Paul's day, who's not a Christ follower, give a summary of what Paul would always preach. Listen to this, Acts chapter 19, verse 26. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying, this is what Paul would say, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. So Paul's consistent ministry and his message was saying, hey, man-made gods are no gods at all. And that's what he's bringing to mind here in Galatians already in verse eight. So why was idolatry, identifying the idols, such a key theme in Paul's ministry and how he's bringing it to bear on, on the Galatians? And the reason why, we're just gonna do a quick, super short survey in the Bible. The reason why is because the theme of idolatry is all over scripture. So think about, for those of you who are familiar with your Bibles, think about the 10 commandments real quick, right? There's a reason why they're ordered the way that they are. So do you remember what the first of the 10 commandments is? All right, bring that to mind. You shall have no other gods before me. That really matters that that's the first of the 10 commandments because I'm going to illustrate this for you in a minute. It's because you don't break the rest of the other 10 commandments unless you break the first commandment. Unless you put another God before God, then you're going to break one of the other 10 commandments. So here's what I mean by that. First of the 10 commandments, actually the first two, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Well, think about the 10th commandment, right? What is that? You shall not covet. And then it gives some examples, right? Well, think about when you covet, we've all broken that 10th commandment. When you covet, what is happening inside? We're getting an inside look at our hearts, right? The reason that I covet, that you covet, is because I think I deserve something someone else has more than them. And functionally, I'm not trusting God to give me what's good, to give me what I think I need. So then I try to take it into my own hands, under my own control, and I start to covet. But I wouldn't start to covet if I first didn't trust God, if I wasn't first putting another God myself before him. So I'm breaking the first commandment first, and then I'll break any of the other commandments. Okay, the theme of idolatry and the importance to it in our lives, in our hearts is critical, it's key. And that is what Paul is bringing to bear here in Galatians. And the reason why is because idolatry is always behind and beneath why we sin. Okay, the big story of the Bible is that we're all worshipers by nature. We're hardwired to worship, we can't help it to worship someone or something for our ultimate meaning, right? For your identity, your security, your comfort, or your happiness. You're going to hear me say that a lot because it's true. We're all hardwired to worship. As I was thinking about this this last week, I heard this poem before, and I just want to share it with you. It's a poem by this guy named W.H. You know a poet's good if they don't give their first name, if it's just a letter, right? W.H. Auden. And this speaks, this poem speaks to something about this darkness or this vacuum that's happening. The poem is entitled September 1st, 1939, and Auden describes what he saw one evening in a nightclub. This is what he writes. Faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. Lest we should see where we are, lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. So in ourselves, we're never happy or good. And so what do we do? We turn to the idols to try to be happy or good. We look to something other than God to fill that void, right? We're children afraid of the dark, afraid we're not going to have what we want. And so we try to fill that void with idols, with things other than God. But what happens when we do that? Do those idols make you happy or good? They don't, do they? And that's why Paul is saying right here at the beginning of this text in verse eight, these not gods, these false gods, these idols, they only bring slavery into your life. Idols only enslave us. Because anything we worship other than God, it's not going to give us freedom. It's only going to bring slavery. So I just want to zoom out real quick. Remember what we've seen so far in Galatians? It's just, Galatians is amazing, right? It just keeps beating the drumbeat of the gospel being Jesus plus nothing. It's Christ alone. So there's this group, though. Remember, they come into Galatia. And they're saying, hey, Galatians, it's all well and good. You heard from Paul this gospel message you believed in Jesus, but Paul's not really telling you the full truth. To really 
receive the approval of God, you have to add on to the work of Christ with your own works by obeying all the laws of the Old Testament, right? So that's what's happening in Galatia. But then Paul over and over again is saying, no, it's Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, right? It's Jesus plus nothing. Paul even goes to the extent that, hey, is if an idol or a, an angel shows up telling another gospel, I'm going to fight him, is what he's saying, right? He's saying it's just one gospel here. But so far, if, if you've like been hearing and sitting under, under Galatians, if we're not careful, that just becomes a box to check. Yep, it's Christ alone, it's Christ alone, but it's not getting underneath and inside of us and our hopes and how we worship. And that's where this text is taking us. So again, let's ask ourselves, what made it attractive to the Galatians to listen to this group and say, yeah, maybe it isn't just Christ alone. Maybe we need to add on the Old Testament to it, right? It was attractive to them in some kind of way. Look down at verse nine. Here we're gonna get an inside look at the diagnosis of the root problem for why they wanted to add on to the gospel. Look at the second half of verse nine. Paul asks them, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? The language of elementary principles here in verse nine it should sound familiar to us because we just saw it last week up in verse three, didn't we? Just look right up, glance up on the page in front of you. Verse three, chapter four, that says, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay, and just to ground us in this idea, this language, this truth biblically, uh, the same word or idea is used in Colossians chapter two twice, in Colossians 2, 8, and in Colossians 2.20, and there it's translated as elemental spirits. So this language, this idea, this reality of elemental principles or elementary spirits, honestly, it's kind of hard to define and to describe. And the reason why is because it's the inside scoop of all of reality. It's the inside scoop of everything. It's hard to define because the meaning of it and, and implications of it are so vast and so all-encompassing. One commentator, I want you to hear this, one commentator said that the Greek word that's translated elemental principles, he said this about it. It includes, just think the vastness of this, it includes the political and social regimes that are enslaved to the anti-God powers that both enslave and press against the entire creation and from which Jews, Gentiles, and the entire creation need to be rescued, resurrected, and transferred into a new creation in the realm of the Spirit. So this phrase in verse 9, elemental principles, it's the real reality we have to be rescued from. And Paul's argument is, hey, you want to go back to that and be enslaved? So we have to ask, what is it? to get the emphasis and what Paul is driving home here for us. So elemental principles, when we think about who the first audience was, right? It's the idea that the Greco-Romans had, that the pagans have had, that anywhere in every time and place has, that there's a God behind everything, right? I think God of the sky, God of the harvest, God of the sea, 
right? That's what it's capturing. These non-gods, these not gods are the gods behind everything. And then what in history do we do as people to these not gods, to these elemental principles? Don't we try to please them, make them happy, appease us, so they're going to give us what we want, right? These elemental principles are the gods behind everything. And when you see elemental principles, just go back up to verse 8. They're the not gods. So these are what's behind everything. What we think we have to appease or make happy in order to save ourselves. Okay, so the principle behind everything, the inside scoop behind everything is that we think we have to save ourselves and make these not gods happy to give us the life we think we need, what's really going to satisfy us. And Paul's saying, you want to go back to that? You've been rescued from that. So we have to connect the dots here. In verse 9, Paul is saying that if they add on to the gospel by believing what these false teachers told them, by really thinking we have to do all these Old Testament laws in order to be justified and approved of by God, Paul is saying, do you know what you're becoming again? You're just becoming idol worshipers again. So do we see, and I hope we feel like what this means. It means that you can worship idols by being a really bad person like the pagans and maybe sacrificing your child to appease the gods. Or you can worship the idols by being a really good person through your religious performance. And either way, you're enslaved, is what Paul says. So this means that the most dangerous kind of idols, these elemental principles, are religious idols. That's what he's drawing out here for the Galatians, the inside look of what's happening in their hearts. God's word in front of us is saying that if we add anything to Jesus in order to be accepted by God, again, that's just another form of idol worship. Another way of trying to save yourself. Saying, yeah, I believe, excuse me, allergies are killing me. We believe, yeah, Jesus, it's Christ alone, right? But then, and then you find yourself adding these other things onto it to be accepted by God. So trying to earn God's approval through your own righteousness is no better than paganism. Takes you to the same place. Justification by works is just as demonic and just as enslaving as worshiping idols. Paul's saying either of those enslave you. So again, I just don't want us to miss this. This has been rocking my world this last week. It means there's two ways to be lost spiritually. You're the bad person, the pagan who worships the idols, or you're a really good religious person, but you're also an idol worshiper if you're not trusting in Christ for your only acceptance before God. Either way, make us enslaved. And maybe those things that we're tempted to add on to the gospel, we've heard this before at GBC and we're going to keep hearing it because we have to. Maybe it's something really good. Maybe it's even an implication of the gospel that you're tempted to add on to the gospel to be really accepted and loved by God. Maybe to find that really like deep approval in your heart to really be happy or good, like the poem said. Yeah, it's like you feel like Christ alone like got me into the club, but for me to really like get the seat at the table that I really want, 
Maybe you're seeking after people's approval, or maybe it's achievement in some kind of way, or maybe it's even like the love of your kids or the love of your spouse. I have to have that in order to be really accepted by God. And Paul is saying that's slavery. If it's not Christ alone, you're adding on to the gospel, and that's only going to bring a crushing sense of weight and enslavement into your life. God's word is graciously clear here. If your approval with God is based on anything other than Jesus, you're enslaved and rejecting God. Throughout Galatians, Paul has not pulled any punches, and he sure isn't pulling any punches here in chapter 4, is he? So I just want want us to think about this. Why are religious idols so dangerous? Okay, This needs to move out of an intellectual category like we're in class, and it needs to get into the inner dynamics of our hearts. Why are religious idols so dangerous? They're so dangerous because they prey and feed on our self-righteousness, don't they? Otherwise, the Galatians wouldn't have wanted to add on to the gospel. They're so dangerous because they're less obvious. They hide from us. They don't want to be seen, right? They're like parasites in the life of your walk as a Christian. The pagan knows in some kind of way he or she is really far from God. That's why they sacrifice to idols. But the person enslaved by religious idols thinks he or she is really close to God when in fact they're really, really far away. And you know what this can look like and often does look like and we don't even know it? And I can share this because I'm not pointing fingers that I'm not pointing first at myself. This has been my walk with the Lord that God has continued to draw out the idolatry of my own religious performance in my life. It can look like being a really good Christian from the outside, even maybe someone that people really look up to or prop up, but you are finding your identity and your approval on your performance and you're adding on to Christ's righteousness with yours. And Paul's saying that is idolatry and that will only enslave you. In the control center of your heart, if you are not fully banking your life on being accepted by God through Christ's righteousness, you're worshiping your own righteousness and you're an idol worshiper. That's what's happening here in Galatians. And Galatians is saying, if you're doing that, when I do that, I'm just as lost and as enslaved as the pagans. That's the argument in verse 9 that flows from verse 8. So, so far, Galatians has been consistently clear in highlighting, hey, it's Christ alone. So can we see, I hope you can like feel today, it's not just a, a box you check. The truth of it being Christ alone gets inside of you. It reorients your hopes and what you find approval in, and what you love. And if it doesn't, you haven't taken the gospel deep enough into your heart. It's still sinking into your heart. Because remember, we're not advancing past the gospel as believers. We're just going deeper into it. So why do idols enslave us? Paul says they're not a benign thing. He says they enslave you. They enslave us because idols are never satisfied. So think about it. Like when you live for an idol's approval, what happens? 
you'll never get the approval and you'll only die by that idol's rejection. Even if your idol is the love of your kids or maybe like the love of one another, even in a church family, you prop that up into a place of righteousness and approval with God, it will only disappoint you. Idols enslave us because we think like, when I have that, whatever that is, right, then I'm really gonna be happy. I'm really gonna feel good about myself. But in the end, they only enslave us by disappointing us because idols only overpromise and underdeliver, right? So they bring slavery into our lives. I'm gonna read a quote and I hope I'm not gonna cry. Tim Keller, who went on to be with the Lord on Friday, he said this about idols and just hear what he has to say. If anything but Jesus is a requirement for being happy or worthy, that thing will become our slave master. That is a good summary of what we're seeing here in Galatians chapter 4. But also in Galatians 4, we get some amazing hope, and it's right in verse 9 too. Right? So what hope do we have to not be under the slavery of idols, even religious idols? Look at how verse 9 starts. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. He's saying, hey, you were idol worshipers. Don't become idol worshipers again by becoming religious idol worshipers. And why and how you don't is you know God, or rather you've been known by God. When it says rather there, that read it as like most importantly. Most importantly, you've been known by God. Our scripture that was our call to worship today is John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. This is Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So being known by God doesn't mean, like, think about this. Okay, great. My hope from being rescued from idolatry is being known by God. That could actually be, like, super scary. If God knows you fully, and he does, he knows every dark place in your heart, every mixed motive you have in worship, if he only knows that, you are found guilty to the extreme. But by saying that you are known by God, this knowing is an intimate, loving, he knows you as his own. Being known here in verse 9 means being fully loved and accepted by God. And how do we know that? To the extent that Christ Jesus went to the cross to know us. That's what we're seeing here. Through the gospel, we're known and loved in that kind of intimate, sovereign, and certain way by the holy, kind, loving, gracious, and beautiful creator God. Paul's saying, you're known by God in that kind of way. Why would you settle for religious idolatry? Really here, like the posture of Paul, we're going to hear it in the later part here of chapter four, he's pleading with them. Like a dad to his kids, you can hear his pastoral heart. He's pleading with them. You know God, or most importantly, you've been known by God. Don't settle for religious idolatry. 
So why is the assurance of being known by God the antidote to idolatry? Listen to this quote from a book entitled The Dynamics of the Spiritual Life. If you don't have the full assurance of being known by God in your heart, listen to what's going to happen. Christians who are no longer sure that God loves them and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness and defensive criticism of others. They cling desperately to legal, pharisaical righteousness, but envy and jealousy and other sins grow out of their fundamental insecurity. Wow. If we don't lean into and enjoy the reality that we know God because we're known by God, we're actually really insecure people. So why do we make idols? Why are we tempted to make idols even out of good things? It's because of our insecurity about our acceptance with God. We're adding on to the gospel. So why do we make idols? Because they do something for us, don't they? It's because they give us some sort of assurance of how we want to see ourselves. So we make idols. But the gospel of Jesus plus nothing shows us there's nothing we can do to make ourselves more acceptable or lovable to God, right? He already knows us through the perfect work of Jesus Christ and keeps us perfectly through his spirit so we know him. Right? Do you see the dynamics, the inside look of what's happening here in Galatians chapter 4? Our knowing God is built on the sure foundation of him knowing us. So I, this is a profound, powerful, hard, loving word all wrapped together. So I'm curious like how you are hearing this today, how you, us as a church, are receiving this today. What are the idols that you're tempted to trust in? Maybe the idols that, if you're being honest, are or have been enslaving you. Those things that deep in your heart, those things that prop up how you see yourself, how you feel about yourself, where you get your sense of worth. And do you see how the truth of the gospel being Christ alone, like how that has to be applied and pressed down into your heart. Or the chains of the idols are only going to continue to enslave you. The reality of being known by God through the gospel, again, it has to be applied to your heart. And I don't mean just the physical pounding heart in your chest right now. I mean the center of what you love the core of who you are, spiritually, emotionally. Being known by God has to go there and live there and, and feed your soul if you are going to have the antidote against idolatry. So doesn't this dynamic, when you really like think about this, this inside look into us through how we're seeing the inside look of the Galatians, doesn't that just show you, and I hope like you can feel it, you can taste it. Like we're going to have 
a members meeting potluck right now. We're smelling it. Maybe you like have saliva in your mouth. You're going to taste it. I hope you can taste the gospel right now. Like think about this. The God man went to the cross to die for us who are idol worshipers to the core of who we are outside of Christ. He went to the cross to die for us, to know us so that we could know him. Like that's so much better than the idols that we worship, than those things that we think are going to give us the acceptance with God. The only way we're accepted by God, approved of by God, is the work of Jesus Christ. We do not, we cannot add on to the gospel. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there is no better day than right now to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lay down your idols, confess and repent of your sin and run to Jesus and you will find the happiness and the good that you've been longing for your whole life, okay? That is what God's word puts in front of us today because there's only one antidote to idolatry. It's the gospel. Without the gospel being Christ alone and the assurance and the acceptance that gives us, you'll always be under the slavery of an idol. Now we're not done. We got the inside look of the Galatians heart, heart of their church in our hearts. Paul's not finished. Now he's going to turn and we're going to get an inside look at these false teachers' hearts too. And that brings us to the second part of our message in verses 11 through 20, false ministry and true ministry. Just if you've been reading Galatians, I hope you have and preparing to hear God's word preached, like this section right here, 11 through 20, it is just deeply personal and painful for Paul, isn't it? The the personal pronoun, I, me, my, it's used 19 times in these short verses. Look at verse 11, right? Just to capture it, what's it say? I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And then to bookend it, verse 20 ends by Paul saying, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Don't you just hear Paul's pastoral fatherly heart toward the Galatians? He's been sharing a hard word with them, but we see the inside look of his motivation. He's saying this because he loves them, doesn't he? He cares about them. But then in verse 15, he just kind of ups the ante. He says of their adding on to the gospel, like how it's been working for them. Look down at verse 15. Paul says, what has become of your blessedness, dear Galatians, he's saying. And when you read that, you can hear that as what has become of your joy. So what is causing his anguish, right? That you can just hear it, feel it in the text. What's taking away their joy? It's the Galatians buying into what these false teachers are selling. And again, we've heard it over and over again. We're going to hear it right now. It's them adding on to the gospel. And by them adding on to the gospel and the Galatians believing that, that is taking away their joy. So earlier we saw Paul diagnose the Galatians' religious idolatry. We'll look down at verse 17. He's now going to diagnose and highlight and drive at the diagnosis of the hearts of the false teachers too. And guess what? 
the false teachers are idol worshipers as well. Verse 17, the they in verse 17 that Paul's calling out, it's this group of false teachers. It's the Judaizers going around saying, yeah, it's, yeah, it's that Jesus guy, but you got to add on to the gospel. So just listen to how Paul describes and diagnoses the false teachers' motives and their methods. Verse 17, what do the false teachers do? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Another way to read verse 17 is saying they are flattering and making much of you so that you will flatter and make much of them. That's what he's saying about the false teachers. So think about that. If the false teachers are flattering, that's what they're trafficking in. Doesn't that show that they were needing something? They needed the Galatians to need them, didn't they? They're like, I'm going to flatter you and make much of you. So you flatter me and make much of me. It was very horizontal based. The focus of the false teachers, it wasn't on the good of the Galatians. They were using them, weren't they? Using them to fill their own insecurities, like we just saw earlier. Using them to try and advance their own agenda, to you know, advance their own brand, to get more likes on social media. That's what the false teachers are doing here, okay? Their ministry was self-focused and codependent. And bottom line, these false teachers were telling the Galatians they had to add on to the gospel by earning their salvation through works. Well, why were they telling the Galatians that? Because that's the message they believed in their own heart. So the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So of course they're going to tell other people to add on to the gospel. They're adding on to the gospel themselves, right? They were trying to earn salvation through ministry by gathering people around them. Yeah, that Paul guy, he told you some truth, but don't listen to him. Listen to me. I'll tell you really what the story is. And then they add on to the gospel. Their ministry, and I'm a air quotes guy, their ministry, right, flowed from their idol worshiping hearts. So they trafficked in self-righteousness and gospel misconceptions. Have you ever noticed, and as I say this, I, I say this like, lovingly, tenderly, because some of you have actually experienced this. Have you ever noticed key themes with false teachers? Right? Most false teachers, they flatter rather than encourage with grace and truth. They use people rather than equip people, and they want to increase and others decrease. They want to push themselves up and push others down. It's happening here in Galatians. It's happened throughout church history. It's probably happening around us too, right? Behind false ministry, when you really think about it, behind false ministry is either that those false ministers, A, are not Christians. They're, they either don't even believe the gospel, they reject the gospel, or maybe with like the best of positive intent, they have a whole bunch of gospel misconceptions and then they're functioning and living and ministering out of that place. Because anytime you add on to the gospel, you what? You only subtract from the gospel. And that's what we're seeing in their ministry here. So just, just think with me, like feel the weight of this. How did all of this affect the Galatians? Because false ministry, it impacts people. It leaves wounds. It hurts people. 
Verse 15 says that the false ministry of these false ministers, it took the Galatians joy. Think about it. These churches, it took, it stole, it robbed them of their joy. Like a cataract takes your sight or cancer takes your health. Their false ministry and adding on to the gospel was stealing their joy. The combination of their idolatry of religious performance and the false teacher's idolatry of approval, it created this dynamic in this church that just took, took their joy away. Paul's saying like, what happened to your joy? But compare and contrast that. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, where he describes what church leaders should be about, what elders, pastors, deacons, church leaders, what their motives and methods should be. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24 says, church leaders are to work with you for your joy, not to steal your joy by adding on to the gospel, but through the gospel to cultivate, develop, live into the fullness of joy in the gospel. So mark it down. True gospel ministry will strengthen your joy. Adding to the gospel will only eventually take your joy. Can you see how practical Galatians is for our walks with Jesus and our life as a local church? So as, as we move to a close, I just kind of want to like um, highlight a few things. It's real quick summary. I would encourage you to go to God's word in prayer in Galatians 4 verses 8 through 20 and consider this this week with the Lord. And as I'm going to read these short things with you that highlight true ministry versus false ministry, like let this fuel your prayer life for us as Gresham Bible Church. Pray these things for us that we excel still more. So following are 10 key truths about true gospel ministry here from Galatians 4, and then we'll close. First, Paul was secure in his approval with God through the gospel, so he didn't need people's approval or to use people. Second, true ministry is relational and involves anguish. It feels like giving childbirth, Paul says. True ministry is marked by love and honesty, not flattery or image building or manipulation. True ministry is gospel-centered and gospel-advancing, so it's flexible and adaptable based on the context. It keeps the main thing the main thing and doesn't add on to the gospel. True ministry is transparent, like how Paul shared his life with the Galatians because he was most concerned with their good rather than his comfort. True ministry doesn't try to get fans, but disciples. True ministry wants people to not be dependent on them, but on Christ. True ministry is about the joy of the gospel. Two more. Like Paul, true ministry longs to be with people in person. Like Paul wasn't content being more of a star than a shepherd. And lastly, true ministry knows suffering and hardship are an opportunity for ministry because most importantly, we are known by God. So in God's kindness, this has been true for GBC, not perfectly by any means, far from it, but generally for these past 16 years. And the reason why is because the saints of GBC pray this 
for the leaders, and we pray this for our church. So please keep praying for this. So God's word has shown us today the only hope we have for our enslavement against idols is being known by God through the gospel. And then we're freed from the idols as we see the beauty of Jesus Christ. So please bow your heads with me and we're going to pray together. Father, we praise you that we can know you because we are known by you. We praise you for the freedom and love and joy you give us through the gospel. We praise you for the chief shepherd of your church being Jesus, the only true minister, and how far we all fall short. We confess and repent of our idolatry, of finding our identity, our comfort, our security, and our happiness in things other than you. Father, through your spirit, focus our hearts on Jesus and renew a right spirit in us. Increase our joy in the gospel. If there are any here today who don't know you yet, I pray that through your spirit, you will make Jesus Christ irresistible to them. We praise you for Jesus. May we see his beauty more and more as a church. We praise you for Jesus, who didn't come to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.